and welcome to The Quiet Out Loud. Today, we are going to talk about abortion. Uh, to be honest, this was not the topic that I had penciled in to do next, but I took a quick Instagram poll and this is what the majority of people voted for. So here we are. Um, before we get started, I kind of wanted to zoom out and look at the episodes that I've done so far because it's really all intertwined in this giant web. <laughs> um, I started out by talking about in episode one kind of big lies and how we should open our minds to the possibility that there are powers at large lying to us on a grand scale. Next, we talked about feminism and how that has really left a lot of women as of late feeling lied to and disenchanted. And then we talked about racism and how many people today are wearing a faulty race lens. Um, and today we're going to talk about abortion. So which frankly fits right into uh, big lies, feminism and racism. Um, I've really been trying to think about like, you know, what, what can I bring to this conversation? Um, it's another really big topic. And there are a lot of pro-life Christian voices out there, many of whom are probably more educated and well-versed on this than I am. Um, but what are some of the undertones and undercurrents of this topic that are silenced in the public square? That's what I want to address and bring to light. Uh, I really thought that this would be a quick and easy podcast for me to write and record because my feelings on it are pretty black and white. And over the last de decade, I have looked into abortion statistics. I've written multiple blog posts about the topic, and I've been fairly vocal about my stance. But guys, <laughs> the longer I sat at my screen, the more legs this topic grew. Just because my feelings might be pretty black and white doesn't necessarily mean that I can't acknowledge that um, this is just an incredibly complex topic that has a lot of history to it and then also has a lot of weight um, in our current society as well. Um, honestly, um, this episode has taken a really different direction than I had originally thought, and it became abundantly clear that I was not going to be able to fit all of my thoughts into just a single episode. And I am planning on splitting this into two episodes. And even then, I may not get to every single detail. So who knows? Like, we'll just see what happens. Um, in this episode, though, we are going to discuss spirituality. Um, then the the role of fem feminism. Now, I do not believe you need to be a Christian or even to be religious um, to find the practice of abortion immoral. I truly believe that you can argue against abortion from a place of logic and science, um, which I will do more so in the next episode, but not today. Um, you guys might think that I'm doing this backwards, that I should establish things like when does life begin first, but I actually disagree. Like We have to establish spirituality first because that is at the root of abortion. And we're going to get there really quick today. So buckle up just as a note, like this might be hard, like really hard for some people to process or think through, especially in the beginning here. But I promise that we will also talk about grace and compassion and healing. Um, I am absolutely heartbroken for women who have shared their post-abortive stories with me. Um, and I really have a righteous anger about this topic. topic. Um, I want to be really clear, like my beef is not with women who have had abortions. It is the lies that they are told and the groups of people who abandoned them. That is where my beef is at. But again, bear with me because this might be a tough topic for people to get through and I don't want to be insensitive to that. 
Um, okay. I hate people do this, but I got to do it. I got to do it. So um, one, because I absolutely love their products. But before we get started, I want to mention my sponsor for today, which is uh, me. I have been an affiliate with Money for five years and my entire family uses their naturally de- naturally derived hair care, skincare, and wellness products. Um, my personal hair transformation has been amazing and I am obsessed with their anti-aging skincare line. Um, 41 this year, you guys. So uh, if you want to check out their products, uh, you can join as my personal VIP customer and you'll get 15% off every day, plus other discount opportunities, a rewards program, free products, and all kinds of other great benefits to get started. Uh, take the quiz in my show notes, and I will personally reach out to you via text message to answer any questions that you may have. All right, guys, let's go. Let's get started. Um, okay, so to start out, I think that very little to none of what we do in our life is spiritually neutral. We are either furthering God's kingdom with our actions and words, or we are tearing it down. And abortion is no exception. It is not a spiritually neutral topic. Abortion is either building God's kingdom up or tearing it down. Like once you're kind of able to view life this way as not spiritually neutral, your eyes really open up to a lot of things going around you that you might have thought were just like no big deal. Like you do you boo. Okay. But there are, I, I want to establish this first before we move on. There are a lot of Christians doing amazing work around the pro-life movement and that who are caring for both the babies and the mothers. Okay. I am not saying that there aren't Christians doing a fantastic job of that because frankly, resources for pregnant women and mothers beyond Planned Parenthood would be negligible without churches and Christians. And that is something that the mainstream narrative loves to ignore or tear down. They want to pretend that they are all for choice, but if you make the wrong choice, they will leave you high and dry or worse yet, just send you over to the government for government help. We're going to touch a little bit more on that later, but back to Christians. Okay. But But there are also a great many of Christians riding the fence on this issue or even calling themselves pro-choice Christian or pro-choice pastor. Like this absolutely boggles my mind, boggles my mind. I cannot comprehend because there is not one scripture that I can think of that supports abortion, nor does it reflect any godly or holy characteristics. In fact, we see the God of the Bible rescuing his people from such practices There is some thick wool over a lot of eyeballs nowadays. You know, a common sentiment that I hear from Christians is, well, I wouldn't choose it for me, but who am I to judge or stop someone else? I just need to support and love them. I'm going to be a little bit harsh here, okay? This is the laziest, most selfish, safest response I think a Christian could possibly utter. Who are you? You are the body of Christ. Okay. Are you not? You are a kingdom builder. You are here to build his kingdom on this earth. Who are you not to speak out and stand for truth and justice? Are you not commanded to care for the least of these? Please show me a more qualified candidate for the least of these than an unborn child. Not to mention, we're called to love our neighbor as ourselves. You guys love quoting this verse. Everybody loves quoting it. I did a little, you know, um, Instagram and TikTok video on this. We're called to love our neighbor as ourselves. You're going to sit there and tell me you love yourself too much for an abortion. Abortion is too nasty or sinful for you, but you're okay with your neighbor choosing it for themselves. It's literally the exact opposite of loving someone like yourself. If you wouldn't choose it for yourself, you'd better be out there fighting that no one else would choose it either especially 
especially if you're not choosing it because you know it's displeasing to God. Was Jesus neutral on tough issues? Like, did I miss this somewhere? Like, where did he say, well, I wouldn't choose sin for me, but who am I to stop or call out someone else for their sin? I think I'll just leave them in it. I wouldn't want to like, you know, hurt their feelings or something. Like, please point to me where he modeled this lackadaisical posture, because I'm not sure where this sentiment is coming from, because it's not the Bible. Okay, listen, like I said before, I believe there's little to no spiritual neutrality in the world. But I feel like I see a lot of Christians acting like they aren't in a spiritual battle, like the devil doesn't exist, like he's not actually out there prowling around like a lion seeking to destroy humanity, even though the Bible is pretty clear on that too. Like, here's what we know about Satan. He hates God and he hates humanity. He is a thief that comes only to steal and kill and destroy. This is Jesus' own words in John 8, uh, chapter 8, verse 44. He was a murderer, murderer, from the beginning, not holding to truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native, his, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. The Bible also tells us that humanity is created in the image of God. The Bible tells us that humanity is carefully knitted together in the womb and that we are not hidden from God. He sees us there. Goodness gracious, you guys, it's almost like conception isn't just a physical experience, but a spiritual one. Like, wouldn't it make sense for abortion to be a tool of Satan used to destroy humanity and that he would lie to us about it by trying to disguise it as a passionate choice because we're easily tricked and deceived emotionally and because he's incredibly cunning. Like, I think we got to give him credit there. Like the Bible calls out like how, you know, stealthy and cunning this guy is. Guys, hang with me because I promise I'm going to switch to a place of grace here in just a minute, like I promise, but I'm going to go one level deeper first, okay? Just one level deeper. Do you know something else that Satan loves? Human sacrifice, particularly child sacrifice. Now, I know, I know, I know, I know people are like, oh, you've gone too far here, Jennifer, like you got just too far, like abortion is not child sacrifice, like that is a bridge, too, a bridge too far. Like, I think we like to think of ourselves in our current society as being beyond, you know, heathen prehistoric practices like that of human sacrifice. I mean, it's not like we're making altars and, you know, sacrificing people on them, right? I mean, right? Or, I mean, or are we? I mean, I think this is really hard to think about and to process. But you know what, you guys? There is nothing new under the sun. And all Satan has done is gotten craftier and more deceptive. And there is an undeniable parallel between abortion and ancient child practices of sacrifice. Sorry, ancient child sacrifice practices. Let's go back to the Bible for just a minute. Okay, to the very beginning. I want to go back all the way to the creation story in Genesis, in the garden. I've heard this story a thousand times, um, and I'm sure you have as well. But something really jumped out to me about a year ago or so when I was researching what the Bible has to say about women. When God finds out that Adam and Eve have eaten the forbidden fruit, he curses all three parties. Okay, let's take a look at that. So Adam, he says, will have to labor um, and, you know, labor hard to farm and forage for food and provide for his family. And Eve will have um, extremely, extremely painful childbirth. And she is under the rule of her husband, even though she will long to rule over him, which is like a completely different podcast for another day, you guys. But okay, and then the serpent. Okay, what is the curse for the serpent? I think we tend to, to focus a lot on like the male female curses and you know like the battle of the sexes and all of that, but we miss that the serpent was cursed too. Okay, so what was he cursed with? First of all, that he will crawl on his belly and eat dust. 
And then there's this next part. This is the next part that jumped out of me that I missed for basically all of my life. Okay. So God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Again, I want to read that one part again. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. Don't you find that just really interesting and very specific? What is enmity? Like what, how, what is that defined as? Okay, let's read through that. Deep-seated, often mutual hatred, a feeling or state of hatred or animosity, a quality or state of being hostile, a feeling or condition of antagonism, ill will, discord. So the serpent, Satan, has, has a curse placed on him of a special hatred of not only women, but their offspring because their offspring will crush him. Now, this passage is um, a, a prophecy that points towards Jesus, the Messiah. But this curse, this special hatred of women and childbirth and offspring, we see it all throughout the Bible. And I believe that we still see it today. A repeating theme that we see in the Bible is one of child sacrifice, either as pagan worship or as an attempt to wipe out God's people. Moses is one of our biggest examples of this. He was scheduled for infanticide, uh, but women stepped in to save him. King Herod attempted to chase down Jesus himself and infanticide him. Doesn't it seem like Satan has a special desire to destroy offspring, specifically when they're babies and children? You know, there are a few things in our current culture that I believe are destroying God's image bearers, and abortion is one of the main ones, if not the main one. And I want you to keep this idea of sacrifice in the back of your mind because we're going to revisit it in the next episode, okay? So as Jesus said, Satan is the father of lies. And I firmly believe women are being lied to. And I do want to extend some compassion and grace because all of us fall short and need Jesus. All of us, all of us are capable of falling for lies and, you know, making bad choices or doing the wrong thing. We all need Jesus. So let's go to a place of grace for just a second here. Okay. I don't want to get bogged down in like the exact statistics, but you know, um, the Guttmacher Institute puts the annual abortion rate at around eight to 900,000. The CDC puts the number at about 600,000. And to be honest, like, I don't really trust either one of those organizations because like Guttmacher like, is Planned Parenthood and the CDC is the CDC. And so, but regardless, like regardless, it's a pretty big number of over half a million or to a million um, of women are choosing to have an abortion each year. It is not rare. It's a decision that a lot of women are making or is being made for them. And the reason I want to point out the sheer volume is because this means that you either know someone who's had an abortion or you're listening to this and maybe you've had one yourself. And maybe you feel like everything I've said so far is like just a little bit, a little bit or a lot gut-wrenching. And I want to be really clear. Like I am also a wretched sinner. I am personally in the desperate need of the work that Jesus did on the cross just as much as anyone else. While I am not here to condone abortions, I am also not here to condemn anyone um, or make you feel like you're beyond the mercy and the grace of Jesus because you are most certainly not. And this is not in my script, but I just want to tell you guys a little side story that happened like right before I got on to record this today. Um, someone messaged me on my Instagram account and she just, you know, she was telling me the story of her abortion and how she finally found uh, healing. And, and she found that healing when she accepted Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior and she got baptized. She's like, you know, after that happened at this baptism experience, um, I really experienced that um, that peace that defies all understanding. So listen, you are not beyond the grace of Jesus, okay? 
And unlike the mainstream popular messaging, I will not sit here and pretend that all women who have an abortion are celebratory about it. I think there's a place of grace that we can occupy for those women who are hurting or confused about abortion. And if you are someone who is hurting or confused because of an abortion, I just want to say that I see you like others see you. You are normal and there is help available. Please Please do not keep from getting help because you are ashamed or embarrassed or you feel like you shouldn't be feeling the way you feel, feel. Because I think we're told, like we're told by society that we should expect to feel relieved. We should expect to feel empowered. Like this is you exercising the ultimate control over your body. It's your body, your choice. Like this is a really empowering and liberating experience. And a lot of women don't feel that way. And I want to make sure that you know that there is hope, healing, and forgiveness found at the foot of the cross. Please find help. Um, for a post-abortive experience if you or a friend needs it. What we do see in the mainstream media is cute little hashtags like shout your abortion, or we see celebrities screaming from at us from a national podium about how their abortion helped them further their career. They couldn't possibly be where they are today without abortion. Motherhood would have just stamped out their career. Or we see even worse, like, oh, this really doesn't really bugs me, but, or we see teen girls posting about their fun quote unquote, fun abortion experiences on TikTok. What goes left unsaid in the public square is that many women regret or struggle with their abortion decision both before and after. And I'd like to know something. I'd like to know if these stats that I'm about to share with you are shared with women prior to their abortion appointment. I'm going to read it. I think I have about five here. Okay. Women who are who have an abortion are three times more likely than women of childbearing age in the general population to commit suicide. So three times more likely to submit, commit suicide after having an abortion. The increased risk percentage of women who have an abortion compared to women in the general population of having at least one mental health issue, 81%. So an 81% increased risk of having a mental health issue. This next one is really heart-wrenching as well. Teen girls, teenagers, teenagers, babies, teenagers are up to 10 times more likely to attempt suicide than their counterparts who have not had an abortion. 10 times. About 45% of those who've had an abortion procedure um, report having suicidal feelings immediately following their procedure, 45%. Two in three women who have a late abortion, so after 12 weeks, suffer from the clinical definition of PTSD. Are these stats shared with women prior? And if they are not, how can women have truly given informed consent? Now, my opponents would say, oh, you're, you're wrong. Like these women only regret it and they only feel this way because of the social stigma from people like you, which is why we need our cute little hashtags like shout your abortion so that women can feel empowered and not alone in their, uh, their decision. We need to destigmatize abortion. That's what they would say. We need to destigmatize it. And here's what I would say in return, okay? No. We do not need to destigmatize everything. And I am, I'm just like really over that idea in our society that everything needs to be deconstructed and destigmatized. Some things are simply bad for humanity, period. Some things need and deserve a stigma. Slavery, for example, should have a stigma, and that's okay. Just because we can do something doesn't mean we should do something or that 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 or that, that thing is good for humanity. So I stumble over my words, okay? 
Not everything needs to be de-stigmatized. I think the message to women should be closer to reality. Like having an abortion is a big deal and you might suffer mental health consequences as a result. And if you are suffering mental health consequences as a result, that's not abnormal. You're not suffering because of social stigma. You're suffering because you are a completely normal human being who just experienced something traumatic. It is unloving and unkind to set unrealistic expectations of women that an abortion experience is always positive, liberating, and party-worthy. Why does the mainstream narrative want to ignore or bury or erase this trauma response? They claim to care about women's health, but when a woman has a mental health crisis after abortion, are those same people anywhere to be found? Where are the feminists? If they are to be found, they're simply blaming society for having the wrong perception of abortion, never thinking to blame the actual procedure itself, which to me, this is just classic feminism, like classic, like cast the blame for negative consequences elsewhere. Do you know who is caring for these hurting women, just like we mentioned before, abandoned by the pro-choice crowd, abandoned by feminism, pro-lifers, Christians, churches, that is who is helping these hurting women who are lied to and basically left to suffer. Of course, I have to bring up feminism because you cannot have a conversation about abortion without acknowledging that abortion, the abortion industry is 100% a result of feminism. And there is a reason why I wanted to paint the spiritual picture for you first before getting to feminism. And that is because feminism is abortion and abortion is feminism. They are so closely intertwined at this point. I am not sure that abortion survives without feminism or that feminism survives without abortion because abortion is feminism's trump card. It gives feminism the power and control that it wants. It's what sets feminism apart from other ideologies or even religions because it gives feminism the power over what life is valuable and what life is not. It gives feminism control over life and death. If you are the final say, the ultimate authority on which life has value and whether or not they get to be brought into this world, if you're the decision maker of, of who decides who gets to live and who has to die, you have basically declared yourself a god. And think about, think about too, like how we see like, uh, feminism kind of in lockstep with gender theory. Uh, now, not only do you get to be in charge of who lives and who dies, you get to determine what gender they are. You get to usurp God and his design and his creation. Feminism has been trying to usurp God and his design since the Garden of Eden, which is why I wanted to establish a spirituality and go through scripture First, abortion gives feminism the ultimate power and control it desires, that of life and death. Okay, famed feminist Margaret Sanger is really the pioneer of, of birth control and the founder of the primary abortion provider, Planned Parenthood. But like, who was she? Like, who was she really? Like, it's really, it's really difficult to find raving, revert, raving reviews of Sanger. Like, even the positive articles about her seem to be thinly veiled in their support. Um, I know Planned Parenthood has kind of pulled back from, from her in the last um, few years here because many of her quotes and ideas are very much repulsive, very repulsive. Um, listen, I, I, I'm not necessarily going to deep dive into Sanger or give you 
a biography of her. Um, I'm sure you can go look her up and find more information um, about her. But but what becomes apparent when you do just you know look into her is that her reasoning behind birth control measures were not just about women's liberation, but were also largely about eugenics and creating a population that was free of quote unquote undesirables. Most people seem to agree and affirm that she was, in fact, a racist and a eugenicist. Someone who was undesirable for her might have been someone who had a birth defect or who had a disease or disability, someone of a particular skin color, someone who already had a large family, someone who was poor. These are the people that she thought were better off unalive, that our world and society were better off without them. Her self-described idea of mercy was the killing of your infant if you already had a large family. Now, perhaps she was using extreme language here if you want to give her the benefit of the doubt, but it is very interesting because she came from a large family of 11 children, and apparently her mother died due to some sort of childbearing complications. So it would appear to me that Sanger was largely viewing and shaping the world through her own lens of personal trauma. What is really fascinating, though, about her is that it, it does sound like I, most resources that I could find like actually said she was against abortion procedures themselves, like really only to use them as a last resort. Um, but obviously, that also doesn't jive with her quotes about infanticide as being merciful. So, um, and you know, she she really did have a lot of disturbing, um, racist, um, and horrible eugenist type quotes. Regardless of her personal abortion stance, her ideas are the seeds, the roots of Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry at large. Whether she condoned abortion or not personally, um, as a means to control the size and makeup of, of the population, her ideological seeds birthed the abortion industry. No pun intended. Uh, one article that I found on her life that was uh, quite in-depth um, of her personal life discussed her sexual es escapades beyond and outside of her marriages. She called it birth control research. Um, she did swing with a lot of radical thinkers of her era. So it makes sense that, you know, birth control uh, would allow her and women like her the freedom to maintain their sexual debauchery. This is very similar to what we see um, from it's kind of the same era with John money and his gender theory studies, it seems that many of these influential pioneers were attempting to normalize and legitimize their own vices and their own sins. They were attempting to destigmatize their own debauchery. Okay, one can you can try to gloss over her gross statements or overlook her lifestyle choices or even justify them because maybe you believe in the the end result of where we are today, but you really cannot ignore that the seed that she planted, the root of evil that took hold, and the fruit of those ideas that are still present today. What's super interesting to note is that people like the Gates family have also been incredibly diligent in furthering abortion access. Like, did you know, I think it was yesterday years old when I learned that Bill Gates Sr. was once the head of Planned Parenthood. Like, why? Why? 
is this guy and this family, like, why do they have their fingers in everything? Like, go away. So, but like, what do Gates and Sanger have in common? Well, a lot, like primarily their desire to control the size and the makeup of the general population. It's eugenics, guys. Like, please do not be in denial about this. This is not a conspiracy theory. Like, these are facts. These are what these people, this is what Bill Gates wants. And this is what, you know, Margaret Sanger wanted. And these are the people that are the big proponents and big supporters of abortion. If you call yourself anti-racist, you should also actively be anti-abortion because the abortion industry was constructed to negatively impact people of color. And it still does so today. Black people are 13, black women are 13% of the population and 36% of abortions. Like Margaret, I think would be really proud. And you know what? Bill is probably really proud of that too. Listen, you can continue to blame capitalism or the patriarchy or whatever, but at a certain point you have to wake up and look around and ask, does feminism have my best interest in mind? How is the destruction of the nuclear family working for us? How is abortion on demand working for us? As someone who got a lot of heat for referencing the 1950s in my viral TikTok video because of racism, like go back, go back and look at some of the statistics of the black family then versus now. Are things, are things better? Like how is 21 abortions per 1000 black women working out? How are those fatherless homes working out? And no, I'm not suggesting that we just step back in time to the 1950s as it was, but I would strongly encourage you to look at the statistics of the black family now versus the 1950s. It's staggering how much it has changed because people are under attack under the guise of choice and liberty. This is a rabbit hole. We're not necessarily going to go all the way down today, but I, like I said, I would really encourage you to just Google and research feminism and the decline of the black family. There's a lot of interesting commentary and statistical information out there. Feminism claims it wants what's best for women, specifically women of color, but the numbers and the results, you guys, don't lie. Okay, I want to look at how the abortion industry has kind of morphed in the more recent history, like over the last 20 years. So in 1998, the slogan for abortion was safe, legal, rare. Okay, safe, legal, and rare. In 2022, the slogan is abortion on demand anytime for any reason and without apology. Like, whoa, like what happened? Like, how did we go from safe, legal, rare to on demand anytime without an apology? Like what changed? Okay, abortion has gone from being like this quiet, under the radar, discreet experience only occurring in extremely rare circumstances to women screaming from national podiums that abortion is a blessing. Abortion is love. It's freedom. It's a fundamental human right. Something I think I've asked in every podcast so far, even though it's been unintentional, is how did we get here? Like, how did we get here, you guys? <laughs> like, from safe, legal, rare to screaming, it's a fundamental human right. Okay, so it, we we have to go back to feminism because again, like feminism is abortion. Um, now, feminism will—it's really the movement that got us here, where we are today. Um, you know, feminism will teach women that abortion is reproductive is a reproductive health issue, but do they actually teach women anything about their reproductive health? Like, do they teach them natural family planning or about their cycles, or do they just simply toss birth control at them? I think there is a real, genuine lack of knowledge right now with women and their bodies. And I kind of—I mentioned this in my first podcast about the big lies. Like, it's twenty. 
2022, you guys. And I feel like we know less about our bodies and how to take care of our bodies and what, what food to eat. And, and again, like just how to take care of ourselves than, than ever before. Like we've been put on birth control, antidepressants, hormones, drugs, et cetera. Like everything is managed chemically. We don't know how to manage or understand our bodies naturally. Like how many women know there's really, there's only five to six days out of the month. You can actually get pregnant. Like the reality is it's only fertile for 24 to 36 hours a month, like one to two days guys. I mean, but sperm can live for a little longer. That's why it's like five to six days, but it's not like you have to abstain from sex for weeks here. I mean, we're talking about a few days. Does feminism tell women that they don't actually have to have sex like at all? That it's okay to wait till marriage, that abstinence is still a valid choice? I talked about this again in my modesty podcast. I mean, abstinence isn't even taught as a viable option anymore. We make the assumption of our children that they won't leave high school with their virginity. Like, do you know how heartbreaking that is to say? Or does feminism just simply encourage sexual liberty? while throwing birth control and condoms at women and saying like, hey, come see us for an abortion when those fail. Feminism claims that it's all about choice, that it doesn't care what you choose so long as you have the choice. And this is so disingenuous because like we talked about before, they, they, they only provide support and resources for one choice. As I talked about earlier, they don't prepare you for the possible negative or traumatic feelings about your abortion or provide re- resources for that. In the same vein, feminism won't prepare women for how to be a good mother. Like, when was the last time a feminist, like, did a class on, like, hey, here's how to be a good mom. Here's what to expect with motherhood. Or how to be a good wife. Oh, forget that. A feminist might drive you to your abortion appointment, but they wouldn't babysit your child for you while you go to work. Feminism will fight to keep abortion clinics open while pushing to shut down pregnancy centers. Like, have you guys seen this in the most recent news? Like, there were actual politicians are trying to shut down crisis pregnancy centers because they claim that they are, quote, fooling women out of abortion. Guys, I'm sorry. I thought you said you were about choice. And here you are trying to take away a choice because it's not the one that you want women to make. And feminism's solution to the struggling mother that they don't care about and don't want to help isn't a crisis center. It's simply more government care. That's their compassionate solution if you're dumb enough not to get the abortion. The government should take care of you if you're struggling. Let's just go, let's just ignore the elephant in the room that we need more stable family units. The government is your family now. Again, how is government reliance going for people? How's that going for you? Don't tell me feminism is about choice. Feminism is an ideology that pushes women in the societal direction it wants them to go. So as we look at the difference in the attitude about abortion from the 90s to today, I think we have to acknowledge that feminism has become more radicalized, more pervasive, and more mainstream. And obviously, as we've established, abortion availability is a main tenant of modern feminism. Honestly, you guys, I, I, I kind of actually think we're reaching a tipping point for feminism and that it's on the defensive, which I think is why the language has escalated so much that part of their defense um, is to get louder and more outrageous with their demands and their words and their vagina hats. I think that their radical support of abortion um, is actually starting to work against them now. I did a, a impromptu uh, Instagram survey on this one. So this was a big answer that people gave for why they're kind of pushing back with against feminism is because of, like I said, the radical support of abortion on demand at any time uh, for any reason without apology. When it comes to abortion, I do think we see some glimmers of hope with trends towards people waking up and realizing that it isn't morally right or it isn't a great option. Or at least recognizing, I guess at least recognizing that it isn't a federally protected constitutional right. 
And I think we're starting to also see some cracks in the sex, sexual revolution. Again, like people are starting to wake up and ask, like, is this actually, is this actually good for humanity? Like, is this working for us? This, all of this, you know, quote unquote, sexual liberty that we think we have now. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, now that abortion access has become more limited, feminists are in full hysterics. I mean, their foundation is collapsing. So what do they do? They do what any good postmodern thinker would do. They start changing definitions of words to cause fear and confusion. Now, okay, now they are equating a miscarriage to an abortion procedure, saying it's the same thing. It's the same thing, like abortion, miscarriage, whatever, same thing. So Chrissy Teigen is kind of what brought up this whole uh, abortion podcast, um, actually. So she's a great example of this. So she had a, if you don't know who Chrissy Teigen is, like, I don't really know who she is either. She's married to John Legend. I'm not sure like why she's famous or popular other than that. Um, other than she says a lot of really wild and disturbing things. Um, okay. So she had a, her and John Legend had a miscarriage about a year ago. At least that's what she told us at the time. She, she announced that they had had a miscarriage and it was, you know, super sad. And, you know, millions and millions of people reached out to comfort her in this time of loss. And now a year later, she has changed her mind. She's changed her mind and redefined her experience to that of an abortion. Listen, you got no, no, Chrissy. Christy, this is this is so damaging, not only to you, not only to you, but to other women who have had miscarriages, to women who wanted their babies. Can we please not play dumb and act like we don't know what the difference is between the intentional ending of a pregnancy and the unintentional natural ending of a pregnancy? Can we please not participate in word theft in order to fit the abortion agenda? Either abortion can stand on its own as a viable moral practice, or it cannot. If you have to change language to prop up your position, you might want to relook at your position. Okay, I had a woman reach out to me over this and say, like, how much this rhetoric has really hurt her, this, this idea that, you know, a miscarriage and abortion are just basically the same, because she said she would never have an abortion, and she had ex an extremely traumatic miscarriage, and now her miscarriage is being labeled as an abortion by the likes of people like Chrissy. And, you know, this person who reached out to me, she has nothing in common, okay? Nothing in common with the person on TikTok who is celebrating baby-themed cupcakes while throwing a party to celebrate her abortion, and, and it's just extremely hurtful, I think, to her to see these people saying, you know, oh, you're, what you experience is the same because she doesn't feel celebratory. She does not feel celebratory. And a pregnancy loss, I think this is something we have to consider. A pregnancy loss is either something to be mourned or it is not. Wanting or not wanting a baby are just feelings. Those feelings do not determine if that life had value. He's, these things are, are in in opposition in my mind, mourning miscarriages and celebrating abortions are not compatible concepts. And I feel, I see our society and our world really trying hard to hold on to both of these things at the same time. And I don't think that they can both be true at the same time. Both result in the loss of an unborn life. The only difference is the feelings of the mother and who initiated the death. So no, I don't think that the concept of mourning a miscarriage and celebrating an abortion are compa compatible concepts. 
Okay, guys, that is actually where we're going to end today. So I still have a lot more to say, um, but I am trying to keep this somewhat digestible and in, you know, less than an hour episodes. Um, The next episode, we're going to talk about the science and scientism and, you know, what science has to say about abortion and how that compares to religion. We'll talk about some moral dilemmas of abortion. And then, you know, what problems do we think that abortion actually solves? So those are kind of the topics for the um, part two of this um, little series here. Thank you guys so much for joining me. Thank you guys for so much to reaching out to me on social media and all the social media platforms. I really love hearing from you guys. And if you could just take a minute, whatever platform you're listening to this on, um, just take a minute to like, subscribe, do all of the things. It's really, really helpful. All right. Thank you guys.